So we are starting a new series this week titled, Comeback Kids, the story of Israel's return from Babylonian exile. And this series is going to cover a 110-year period of Israel's history. But I don't want you to think to yourself, oh no, this is just history and history is boring. First off, history is not boring. I love history. Those who uh, don't know history are doomed to repeat it, right? But this is more than just a history lesson. It's the story of God's faithfulness to His people. And it's, this is ultimately a story of God bringing His people back from their greatest spiritual failure. And so all of us can take great courage and encouragement from this story. And there are all kinds of uh, subplots that are fascinating. There are opponents to the people of God, all kinds of obstacles to the mission. The people uh, kind of drift spiritually, and God sends prophets to reinvigorate them. And, and, and at the end of the day, there is a rebuilt temple, and the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, and the people have dedicated themselves holy to uh, faithful worship of God. So it's a great story that has lots of little uh, twists and turns. And so we're going to enter into it all summer long, and we're going to learn a lot of truths that we can apply to our lives. Because yes, we're living a couple thousand years later, but we are the people of God, and God is faithful to us, and we have the same, uh, same struggles, same tendencies, the same need for faith. Now, there are five books of the Bible that speak to this particular time period in Israel's history, two historical books, Ezra and Nehemiah, and three prophetic books, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are prophets God sent to His people during this period of time in order to kind of keep them um, going the right direction. And, and so we want you to be reading your Bible during this series. And Pastor James has come up with a reading plan for us, and it's in your bulletins. It's a bookmark, so you can just stick it into your Bible. And uh, we'd like you to read the, the assigned text before the sermon, because we want you to get the most out of this series. And there are a number of things you can do. Number one, attend the uh, church services, listen to the sermons. And Hebrews 9.24 says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but consider one another to provoke unto love and good deeds. And so it's important that we get together in the body, flesh to flesh. There's a, when, you, when you do that, you're ministering. I need you. You need me. And uh, so God has a ministry for you to perform by coming to church. But sometimes you can't be here in person you can catch the sermon online, clearwater.church. So listen to the sermons. Number two, be reading the Bible. Uh, number three, talk about what you're learning in the sermons with other people. And so to make that a little easier, each week in the bulletin you'll have discussion questions. And so you can use those discussion questions to talk. So if you're talking to other people about what you're learning in the sermon, the message goes out and the message will go deeper in your own heart. And then finally, we would love it if you would invite people to church. There are people you know who need to be in church, and if they're not already involved in a good church, well, we'd love to have them here at Clearwater Church, great place to worship. I want to start the series out by talking about the important spiritual principle of restorative discipline. God um, acting 
in the lives of his people in order to break them free from sin's grip. Because that's the reason we had the exile anyways, right? This, this series is all about the return from exile, but we have to start by asking the question, why was Israel in exile? Why did God kick his people out of the promised land? And, the, and, and it's because God was disciplining his people in order to set them free from uh, the grip that sin had on them. About 900 years before the exile, God had entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. And that covenant relationship, God said, I will do some things, and then you do some things. And part of that covenant is kind of unconditional. God, for example, chose the descendants of Abraham. He said, I will be your God, you will be my people, and that's not going to change. Not even the poor behavior of the Israelites changes that. But there are other aspects of the covenant that are conditional, such as, I will bless you in the land and I will protect you, right? Those are conditional aspects of the covenant that can be forfeited, can be lost if the people don't fulfill their part of the covenant obligations, which, which are simply uh, worship God alone exclusively and obey the commands of God. Well, unfortunately, the entire history of Israel is failure after failure after failure to fulfill their covenant obligations. They were continually uh, committing spiritual adultery, worshiping other gods in addition or in, uh, in uh, exchange of the God, the real God. And they were just consistently disobedient to the commands of God. Now, God in His mercy uh, kind of started His discipline with a very light touch, right? Maybe the crops would fail, or some children would be stillborn, or He would allow a, an, an army to come in and invade and conquer a, a part of Israel for a short period of time. Um, disciplining his children in order to get their attention so that they would give up their sin and return wholeheartedly to him. And, but unfortunately, although that would work, sometimes that worked for a short period of time, the next generation always went back to the sin and they would go deeper into it. And so you have this cycle that just keeps going down and down and down. And what happens is eventually, eventually the people of God are just as wicked as the Canaanites were that God originally sent them to kick out of the promised land. And so what God, God did what he said he would do, which is, listen, kind of the ultimate, if you persist in sin, the ultimate discipline is I will kick you out of the promised land. And that's the exile. They, it had finally gotten so bad for so long that God said, Enough. None of my lesser disciplines are getting your attention, so I am now removing you from the promised land. So that happened first in 605 B.C. with the Assyrians. The Assyrians came marching in and conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel and hauled them off into exile. And, and we actually call those the ten lost tribes because we really don't know where those people went. And then in 586, the Babylonians came 
and conquered the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and hauled them off to captivity in Babylon. And it's, it's, the, it's the, um, the captives of Babylon who, who actually returned to Jerusalem. So, the, so with the return, you're really only dealing with people from Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes. The other ten tribes have just been scattered across the world. So God, um, he removes his people from the promised land. He exiles them. But it's for a purpose. And the purpose is to open their eyes to the fact that their sin is hurting them. Their sin has consequences. And it works because uh, the Jewish people in captivity, you know, talk to each other and they say, why are we here? <laughs> you know? And the kids who were born in captivity, right, Jewish kids who were born in Babylon and they hear from grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncles and mom and dad about how wonderful the promised land was and, the, and how beautiful Solomon's temple was and back when we, we had the sacrificial system and life was so great and they're like, why are we here? And, and mom and dad said, we're here because we, we sinned and we failed to worship God alone and obey his commands. And there was a a determination by the people who were in captivity that if they ever got a second chance, that they would do it differently than they would be faithful. Now, those who believed the word of the Lord that came through the prophet Jeremiah believed they were going to get a second chance because Jeremiah said, God, through the prophet Jeremiah said, uh, your, your exile will be temporary and I will then return a remnant, a small portion of the people back to Jerusalem, and they w and we will, in a sense, restart. And 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 that and so the people who believe the word of the Lord were waiting, and and hoping and believing that there was going to be a return, a restoration. In fact, Jeremiah had given the timeline. He even said, "You will be in captivity for seventy years." And so as the, you know, as the years got closer, you could imagine, mom and dad said, it's not much longer, and then God is going to return us. And so let's prepare our hearts for that great day. Next week, we are going to be talking about the first return, because the return, there were actually three returns, but the first return occurred uh, in 538 B.C. under Zerubbabel, so the, the king of Persia, uh, Cyrus, issued this decree in 538 B.C., and he said, all the Jews who want to may go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And uh, so Zerubbabel led that first return of about 50,000, and we're going to talk about that next week. But for the rest of today, I just want to focus on this principle of restorative discipline, because it was not just at work amongst the people of God thousands of years ago with the exile. That principle is absolutely at work in our lives today. And we have to understand it so that we can respond to it and be blessed by it. But before we get there, let me just read to you how uh, the people in Nehemiah's day, so these are the Jews who have already returned. Uh, so this is one of the two books that records the restoration. Here's how they explain the exile. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 23. You, God, multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. The land there is that 
the promised land, and the, and the descendants are the descendants of Abraham. So they're, they're retelling their, the history. They're retelling their history. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness." God, you have fulfilled all of your covenant obligations. You have been good to us. Nevertheless, verse 16, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Okay, so here are the, the Israelites' people um, confessing the sins of their forefathers, right? Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. Okay, so he's talking there about this, this cycle that just continued over and over again during Israel's history where God would send them some hardship, they would repent for a time, God would rescue them, and then after a little bit longer, the descendants would go off and do even more wicked things. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, verse 29, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Why the exile? Because of our stubbornness, our persistent sin, and, and our unwillingness to, um, to learn the lesson from your lesser uh, punishments, disciplines. Verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. You returned a remnant. Well, turn now to your Bible, in your Bibles, to Hebrews chapter 12. And so this is New Testament, and we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about this principle of restorative justice which is talked about here uh, in the life of a Christian. We read, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Christian life is likened to a race here. God is the one who sets out the race course for us. And we want to run that race so as to win. But the problem is there are some things that can slow us down, can get in the way of running that race well. Uh, and some of those things aren't even morally right. They're just referred to as weights. Uh, they're not right or wrong, but they can get in the way of you running swiftly. And uh, so for me, a pers couple of persistent ones are 
too much entertainment, right? Too much time reading my space novels or watching Netflix. Uh, or another one would be, uh, as a pastor, I'm responsible so far for my own retirement, and so I probably spend too much time trying to make sure that my, you know, that I'm lining up my retirement. And, and I'm, per, I'm consistently convicted about that becoming a weight in my spiritual run. And the other one is sin. Sin which clings so closely, or other translations say, which so easily entangles. A great illustration I heard one time, uh, this guy brought a tackle box, and he opens up his tackle box, and in it is just, it's, a, it's just a rat's nest of twine, uh, you know, fishing line and lures. And, and he was able to fish, but, you know, not nearly as efficiently as somebody with an organized tackle box. And that's sin. Sin just tangles us up, and it makes it hard for us to win spiritually, which means it's hindering us from stepping fully into the life that Jesus came to, to uh, bring us. We're not experiencing life to the full when sin has got us all entangled. And sin's a big deal. Uh, and, and we need to understand that. We don't, when we are entangled in, in sin, we are always, always, always believing the lie that this sin, for me, in my circumstance, is actually uh, helping me. You, you don't sin unless you have swallowed that Lie. And so one of the purposes of God's discipline is to open our eyes to the sting of sin that we don't yet see. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, God knows that the fight against sin is a lifetime fight. Uh, it, you will not attain sinless perfection this side of heaven. That is bad theology. You will fight against the principle of sin your entire life. And sometimes you're going to get weary of that battle. You want to time out, right? You just want to take a break from the struggle against sin. Or you become faint-hearted. And faint-hearted is you begin to doubt that you actually can find freedom in that particular area. I've been there. That is not a fun place to be spiritually. And so what God tells us is when you are weary, when you are faint-hearted in the struggle against sin, look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider His suffering on your behalf. Why? Well, I think it's because when we think about Jesus, we realize He considers our freedom from sin worth dying for. He laid His life down that we might be set free from the power of sin. And so if he considers it worth dying for, then we ought to consider our, our freedom worth fighting for, right? And so looking to Jesus can reinvigorate us uh, and, and encourage us in the fight. So is, you know, is there a sin in your life that's entangled you? Maybe you've given up on the fight. You've given in. You have reconciled yourself to that sin 
in your life. I'm going to just accept it. I'm just going, that's going to, my vision of the Christian life is going to include that. Look to Jesus. Be reinvigorated in your struggle against sin. Verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, there are two negative responses uh, to the discipline of the Lord that we are to avoid. The first is, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. When the Lord is disciplining you, don't blow it off. And don't just continue on with life and, uh, and fail to learn, right? Don't, don't put your, you know, don't just put your, uh, you know, clothes up and put your head down and bear through it because then you waste the lesson that God wants to give you. So don't waste the discipline of the Lord. And then, nor, and then it says, nor be weary when reproved by him. So don't, don't resent the discipline of the Lord and get mad at God when he's trying to train you. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Listen, believe it or not, you know what's far, far worse for the Christian than experiencing the consequences of our sin? Being left alone to continue in sin. Sin's killing us spiritually. And if God didn't love us, He would just leave us alone to continue in sin's death grip, but He does love us. He's our Heavenly Father, and so He acts in our lives in order to set us free, and that, that discipline is often difficult and painful, and we can resent it in the moment, but here we're being told, don't resent it, because <laughs> God is treating you as His child. The fact that he's disciplining you is proof that he loves you and he claims you as his own. Now, all hardship that enters the life of a Christian has a purpose. Let me say that again. All hardship that enters the life of a Christian has a purpose. God is sovereign. God does not allow hardship into our lives without a purpose. It doesn't mean that the hardship is good, but it means that God will use it for good. But let's not waste hardship, because <laughs> hardship has a, has a lesson to teach us, but we can waste that lesson by just uh, you know, treating it lightly or, uh, or resenting it. So let's not waste the hardship. Now, what are the two... There are one of two purposes when God lets a hardship into our lives. One of two purposes. 
And uh, the second one is the one that we've talked about most today, which is, uh, that we're talking about today, which is um, opening our eyes to the sting of sin. And this is when God lets the consequences of our sin into our lives. We're sinning, and God lets the consequences, boom, come in and hit us. And, and the reason is, all of a sudden, our eyes can, hopefully, our eyes open up to the fact that this sin isn't helping me, this sin is hurting me. Up until now, I've been kind of uh, believing that I'm better off doing what I'm doing. And now, all of a sudden, the discipline, the, the, the uh, consequence has hit me, my eyes are open, this sin is actually hurting me. And many, many, many Christians have been set free from sin's death grip because God has allowed the consequence of their sin, boom, to come into their lives. They go to prison, they lose their marriages, right? they have a child out of wedlock, whatever it is. Their business tanks, they get fired. And God allows that because He loves us. But we don't want to waste that hardship, right? Don't waste that hardship. Learn your lesson. And, and so God uses that to open our eyes up to this sin is hurting me. I need this sin out of my life. And that is a very healthy process that God does because He loves us. Now, there's an even better way, and that is to self-discipline, right? You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as a child of God, I should know that if I'm entertaining a sin in my life, God's going to act. And it could be very publicly embarrassing. It could be, have significant consequences. And so I'm better off to deal with that sin myself with God's help. But let's deal with the little foxes before they run around and destroy the whole field, right? And so I think as a Christian... We should fear the discipline of the Lord and, and let it motivate us to do what's right and not let that sin grow and, and, and the, the discipline of the Lord ratchet up. And all of a sudden, we're off in exile, whatever that looks like. In order to get our attention, God has to use significant means. So the better it, we're better off to get the sin out of our life so the Lord doesn't have to discipline us. Now, there's another purpose for hardship. It's not what we're talking about today, but just to mention it. And, um, and, and that is just to call forth, call on our faith muscles. When life is going easy, how much faith does it require? But when all of a sudden, you know, any hardship enters your life and it calls forth faith. You don't have to respond in faith, but you can. And if you do, you will grow spiritually. It's like God putting some dumbbells in your hands, and then you can choose to, you know, do the faith flex. Oh, yeah. And then you'll grow spiritually. And that's what James is talking about in James chapter 1, verse 2. Here's why, that's why he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we're going to talk in a moment about the benefits of, uh, that come from being disciplined by the Lord, being trained by the Lord, uh, and it's worth it. 
But anytime a hardship is in your life, anytime there's a hardship in your life, uh, you're kind of in God's school, and He is inviting you to respond in faith. And that's the question. When you're in a, the question to ask is, what is the faith response to this difficulty? It might be that the faith response is repent of your sin, you know, and, and change your behavior. It might be, I just need to trust the Lord with this, or I need to seek, seek His wisdom and counsel, or what is the faith response and do it, and then grow, you'll grow. So are you, you know, maybe you're currently under the discipline of the Lord, <laughs> And you, you have a decision to make right now. How, how am I responding and how should I respond? Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines us with perfect knowledge and for a perfect purpose. As a human father, I have tried to discipline my daughters uh, for their good, but my knowledge is imperfect, and sometimes my discipline is, you know, not the best. I've even had to stop in the midst of my discipline and uh, ask, is this a bad daddy moment? Yes! <laughs> I am sorry. I am going to back off. That was wrong of me. But God never does that. He's, his discipline is, uh, actually I would say, am I being a bad daddy? Morgan is the one who picked that up, and she would just shout bad daddy periodically <laughs> when I wasn't doing what she wanted. Bad daddy! It was quite funny. Bad daddy. But God is never a bad daddy. Even though we sometimes yell bad daddy at him, he's never a bad daddy. But I was sometimes. Okay. But he has a perfect purpose. And his, his purpose of, for disciplining us is that we may share his holiness, verse 10, and that it may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. I think that's another description for the abundant life. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The peaceful fruit of righteousness. The Jews used to greet each other. Well, they still do, I think. Shalom, which is peace or wholeness, well-being. And that only comes about through... Uh, righteousness, holiness, and the peace that that brings to our lives. And we can have the peace of God, which passes on all understanding, guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, even when the situation in our life is kind of chaotic. And so God wants us to have the peace of righteousness. We want that. So we've talked about how we should not re respond to God's discipline, which is don't waste it, 
don't resent it. So, well, how should we respond then? And that's verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Okay, so the, the backdrop is you are being disciplined by the Lord and your hands are drooping and your knees are weak and God is saying, stand up and, and strengthen yourself. Like, steal your emotional resolve. Get ready to act. Verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet. To make a straight path means you have to go out and do some work, right? Clear, you got to clear the debris and uh, maybe put in a new trail. Put, you know, change your behavior, uh, change some patterns in your life, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And so don't waste the discipline of the Lord. Don't resent the discipline of the Lord. Rather, respond to the discipline of the Lord and grow spiritually. So God is disciplining you, whether that is you know, the consequences of your sin are in, invading your life or he's just allowing a hardship into your life, respond to it. Ask God, what is the faith response here? What are you trying to teach me? How can I grow right now? How can I trust you? Be actively involved. Um, your attitude is right. You're willing to make changes in your life. And the result is you, you will grow. And in maturity, you will become, you will have more uh, peace of righteousness in your life. It's worth it. It's painful for a time, right? Nobody enjoys the discipline, but then it has a big payoff. And so that's what was going on with the Jewish people. They're in captivity. You know, one of the things I say to myself is, I often say, I can't change the past, can't change the past. All I can do is say, God, forgive me for the past and receive His forgiveness. Because He's not interested in beating me up. That God has, God's not interested in beating us up. He, he's interested in restoring us. Right? So all we can do is confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And then we say, so here I am. How do I do what's right now? How do I please the Lord? How do I walk by faith and, and change the future? And change the future. So, you know, where are you? <laughs> where are you? And what's your future going to be? So let me just end by asking some questions for you to ponder. Have you given up on the struggle against sin? Have you given in to a particular sin in your life? Reconciled yourself to that one. No longer believing God wants to set you free or that He can set you free or not willing to pay the price to get free. Do you resent God's discipline in your life? Or do you see his discipline as the loving hand of God trying to help you live an even better life?
Are you demanding a life free of hardship? Think about that. Is that what your heart demands of the Lord? God, I, don't, I want you to protect me from every hard thing and every bad thing. If so, what you're saying is, God, I, I want you to leave me in my spiritual maturity, immaturity. I want you to leave me as a little child. That's not a, that's not a right desire. I often think of David. He search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's David saying, here I am. I'm not aware of anything wrong, but you know me and you can reveal something because I'm so convinced that righteousness brings peace and abundance. I'm willing to invite your discipline in order to change and have more of what you have for me. Is that, are we willing to go there? Good news is, his discipline lasts for just a time. And then comes the peace of righteousness for, the, for a lifetime. God, thank you for your word. We need to be reminded that you care enough about us that you will act in order to break us free from sin's grip on our lives. Lord, may we hear this warning. May we not take lightly your discipline. May we not resent it, Lord. May we respond to it when it comes. And, may, and Lord, by, and you will shape us. And we want to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.